Well, even though you and I have been going to church here for a year, two, five, ten, twenty for some of you, thirty, fifty, you know, a lot of years, there can still be a lot of confusion over the Christmas story, can't there? I mean, there's still, even if you've been in church, there's a little confusion, maybe not for us specifically, but for the world, there's certainly confusion over the story. It reminds me of a little girl who came home from church, and she had heard all about the Christmas story and then uh, from in class and one that's then meant to draw it out, and so she had a drawing of the whole nativity scene, and she was so excited, and she couldn't wait to tell her mom. Uh, and, and the first thing she said to mom, she said, Mom, uh, I have this, and I want you to see it, but, but mom, the teacher said, I had the most unusual Christmas drawing. Well, the mom looked at the drawing and she saw that it wasn't a nativity scene, but it was actually an airplane in flight. And the mom was a little bit confused and she's like, sweetie, why did you draw an airplane for the nativity scene? And the little girl really was frustrated. And she's like, mom, that's the flight into Egypt. Oh, right, right, Matthew 2, where they were supposed to flee to Egypt. Okay, got, got it, got it. And, and so then she's looking closer at this, and she's like, the mom's uh, looking at this and saying, so honey, I, I, I don't understand here. Uh, who's this mean-looking man in the cockpit in the airplane? And the little girl, again, just kind of exasperated, said, Mom, Mom, it's obvious. Don't you know that's Pontius? the pilot. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Okay. Duh. Then mom started to figure out this so-called nativity scene, right? And so she's looking, and as she's looking, she sees, okay, there's, you know, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus sitting in the, you know, in the seats. And, but then there's this big person, this large man that was sitting behind Mary and Joseph in the airplane of this nativity scene. And the mom's like, honey, the one thing I don't get on this is, who's this large, round man sitting behind Mary? And the little girl says, Mom, that's round John Virgin. <laughs> oh, oh, silent night. Okay, got it, got it. Round John Virgin, mother and child. Okay, got it. See, actually, that's part of the Christmas story that there's lots of confusion over, and, and frankly, a lot of people have trouble with, that God would supernaturally conce be conceived in the womb of Mary, a virgin. Is something like that even possible? Is that possible? TV host Larry King once said this. He said, he was asked a question, and he said, if you could choose to interview anybody in the world, who would you interview? And he said this, if I could choose to interview anybody in the course of human history, the person I would want to interview most is Jesus Christ. And the question that I would want to ask Jesus Christ is, were you indeed virgin born? He went on to say, the answer to that question would define human history for me. You see, he understood that the virgin birth is a big deal. In fact, we know it's an essential part of the Christian doctrine. So let's go ahead and look at this often told, often you know, familiar story to us, but reality is it can be misunderstood. And look at the story of this young virgin. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
You can turn in your Bibles, or, or you can also go on your phones. We're going to be looking at a big passage here, a long passage. I'm going to want you to participate with me this morning. And, and as, even as I was praying, uh, as we kind of dove in this morning, it's Christmas time. You sing Christmas songs that you're familiar with. You're, you're hearing a story you're familiar with, and it could be very easy today to just disconnect. But I believe God has an important word for every single person this morning. So let's pick up the story, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And it says this, in the sixth month, God, and we're going to say some words together, just make sure you're, you're kind of with me and you don't tune out. Uh, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a who? To a what? To a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Let's say this together. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, another key part, let's say it together. He said to her, do not be what? Do not be afraid. Angels show up, people get afraid. So he said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be a child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name. What's the name you give him? Give him the name? Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will be with him. And, and oh, I'm sorry, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You've heard it many times. Mary's going to discover that with God, the impossible is possible. The impossible is possible. And I think God has a message for us today that for some of us, we need to know today that the impossible is possible with God. Let's talk about Mary. There is no other person on earth who had this unique relationship with Jesus that Mary had. Nobody else can have that kind of relationship. She literally had the Savior of the world in her womb, and then she went on to raise a perfect child. I mean, literally a perfect child. And, and I know some of you, you have a sweet little angel who can do no wrong. I understand that. Some of you, you have a little devil. But this kid really was perfect. I mean, I, I wonder, like, when Mary would get mad at Jesus' younger brother, James, would she look at him and say, why can't you be perfect like your older brother? You know, I, I've always wondered if she pulled that out. Mary had Jesus in her womb. She raised him. She watched him crucified. And then she eventually, somewhere in that story, embraced Jesus as the Savior of her life. Mary was greatly blessed by God, and she actually stands as a role model for all of us, but unfortunately, it seems as if we tend to do one of two things. We tend to over-honor her or even deify her, or because of that, other people have just ignored her altogether. But what is it that we learn about Mary? What is it that we learn from Mary? Well, for starters, we need to know that Mary was really just a, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere whom God chose to, cho literally God chose to birth his child and then raise him. Her home, Nazareth, it was a small place, a small town. It was about 12 miles southwest of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee. It had a population, you ready for this? From about 200 to 400 people. That was it. In fact, Nathan, in John chapter 1, verse 46, who eventually followed, Nathan eventually followed Jesus, Nathan said this of the town, he said, can anything even good come out of Nazareth? 
And so here in this small little town off the beaten path, God sends his angel, Gabriel. And he sends him to an unknown girl in this relatively unknown town. And he sends him to make him and her, Joseph and Mary, have the message that would become the most known message in all of human history. An event that would literally divide time. Martin Luther said about Mary and Nazareth in his writing the Christmas book, he said God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. The story continues in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, and let's look at the verse again. What did the angel do? The angel came and said to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Another translation is this, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That's a translation that I imagine some of us learned, right? In fact, if that was the translation maybe you learned either growing up or in your younger days or wherever, if that was like the, the translation you learned, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Raise your hand, I'm just curious. If that was like your, okay, uh, uh, quite a few of you. That's kind of like how you know this verse. Now because of that unfortunate translation, many have falsely concluded that the angel was in essence offering some kind of worship to Mary. Hail Mary! Hail Mary! Actually, the word hail was just a greeting. It meant hello. It meant what's up. Or the literal translation, yo! Hail Mary! Greetings, Mary! And when he said, full of grace, Gabriel was not suggesting that grace was emanating out of her but rather grace was being extended to her. Also, nothing in this passage or any other passage that, Mar- that suggests that Mary was born of an immaculate conception, which means that she was born free of original sin. There, she wasn't born of an immaculate conception. There was not an immaculate conception, just, of course, the immaculate reception. Anybody, any sports fans, 1972, somebody caught it, right? The Immaculate Reception, come on, someone's got to know it. 1972, the raise your hand, you're a Raiders fan. Okay, see, a couple caught it. Raiders down, six to second, 26 to seven, 22 seconds left. And Terry Bradshaw goes back to make the, or Raiders are up. Terry, they're like, we're going to win this. Only 22 seconds left. Terry Bradshaw goes back to make the pass. Jack Tatum comes in, tackles the guy, and the ball flies out. All the Raiders fans jump up like, we win, we win. And then as the ball floats to the air, to the ground, in runs, anybody know? Franco Harris, the immaculate reception as he runs in for the touchdown and wins the game. Trivia at LifePoint Church there for you this morning. There was an immaculate reception, but not an immaculate conception. Nor does Scripture teach that Mary never sinned or that she ascended to heaven. We don't find that in the Scriptures. But what we do discover is that Mary was certainly a godly woman, but still a woman nonetheless, a member of the human race which means a sinner. In fact, it was Mary herself who said as she went on in the story and offered praise to God. Let's say it together. Look at verse 47. She said this, my spirit rejoices in God my who? In God my Savior. She knew she needed a Savior like everybody else. Mary's cousin Elizabeth did not say to Mary, blessed are you above women, but rather in verse 42, what did she say? Blessed are you what? Blessed are you, what's the word blessed are you? 
among women. Certainly she was never meant to be prayed to, but she is an example to look to. So the angel said to her, you're highly favored, Mary. The Lord's with you. The Lord is with you. We glance through that, but think about how incredible that is. The Lord is with me. I'm in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere, 90 miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital where the temple is, where the Lord resides, and yet the Lord is here with me. So it makes sense that Mary would say in verse 29 that she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And one of the things we discover is that Mary was just incredibly humble. The announcement comes and we don't find Mary saying, well, it's about time somebody noticed my godly lifestyle. You know, I always thought I could be the mother of the Savior. We don't see that in the story. She's amazed. She's surprised. And see, that reminds me, God comes to, God looks for humble people. All throughout Scripture, we see over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout the Bible, the Bible says this, God gives grace to the who? God gives grace to the humble. And we see that right here. You see, those who are humble, they understand that God is doing a good work in them and that God's carrying that on to completion. Those of us who are humble, we we understand Philippians 1.6, as Paul said, God's doing it in me. The humble understand, I still have much to learn. There's still much I can grow in. The humble understand, I haven't arrived, but I'm continually being transformed more into the image of Jesus. That takes humility on our part. It takes humility to still continue to learn and receive from God a Christmas story that some of us have heard for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. But to say, God, today you still have a message for me. God pours out His grace on the humble. God shows favor to the humble. And so He showed favor to Mary. The angel goes on and says, look at verse 31, he says this, He says, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name. Let's say it together. You're to give him the name Jesus. Mary wonders about this. And so she actually asks a reasonable question considering the circumstances. She says in verse 34, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Excuse me, Mr. Angel guy. You know, with all due respect, how's this going to happen? Considering the fact that I've never been intimate with somebody, I'm a virgin, so I can't have a child. It's not possible. How many times in your life have you said the phrase, it's not possible? Now, Mary wasn't disbelieving with her question. She was actually just asking for enlightenment. It was really this biological question. She didn't believe it wouldn't happen. She was more interested in, Tell me, God, the technicalities of this. So the angel says, well, verse 35, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Mary, it's really beyond your comprehension. There's going to be a kind of a supernatural thing going on here. And I got to tell you, with Mary's question, I think we're similar. As I think about what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
He said that God gave you and I a spirit of power. He gives a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline or self-control, and not a spirit of fear or timidity. I want you to think about that. You and I know, if you are a Jesus follower, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, that he has given you a spirit of power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And you and I know that God has called us to live holy and godly lives, to live set-apart lives. That's what the word holy means. You know that, I know that, I believe that, but how technically do I really do that, God? How technically do I really, is it even possible to live a godly and committed life to Jesus Christ, especially in the day and age that we live in? We understand the question. We've asked it ourselves. We're not disbelieving God. We're just not understanding kind of the details of it. And so what's the angel's answer? As God said to Mary through Gabriel, and he says to us, verse 37, for nothing is what? For nothing is impossible with God. In other words, no word from God will ever fail. Jesus later on would say to his disciples when they were discussing something that they could not comprehend, they could not understand how it could possibly happen, and Jesus said in Matthew 19, he said, Humanly speaking, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, it really is impossible for you and I to live a godly and committed life to Jesus Christ. Humanly speaking. But with God, all things are possible. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, and he said it this way to you and I. He said to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The, the New Living Version says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. So that's what God's asking us to do. But then he says something interesting about this partnership that we have with God. God, I don't understand. How do I do that? How do I live out that my salvation? How do I work hard to show the results of it? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Oh, work out my salvation? prove? How, how do I do that? How do I show the results of the salvation? How do I work hard at it? Well, humanly speaking, according to Jesus Matthew 19's language, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But you have a partnership with God, and God is doing something amazing in us. And he tells us it is God who's working in you to cause that to happen. I'm not sure I can fully explain that, I'm not sure you can fully explain that on the human side, but with God, all things are possible. You know what else with God, all things are possible means for you? That includes God touching your life with the grace to handle whatever impossibility is paralyzing you today. The grace of God touching your life with whatever impossibility you're going through right now. Maybe your health is falling apart. Maybe your marriage or a relationship you're in is at a place that's taken a lot of hits and it is not good. Maybe you had a parent who just died or found the news about a parent who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and you're thinking of the impossible season coming ahead. Maybe this is the first season in your life that you've finally taken your faith seriously. 
and you have a whole lot of family who aren't into you taking your faith seriously. They maybe even labeled you as a fanatic. These and many more circumstances impossible to handle on your own? Likely. But God never intended you to handle it by yourself. For the Bible tells us in these passages, for nothing is impossible with God. It's impossible for us, but not with God. So, how does Mary respond to this? For you and I today, this is where the rubber hits the road. How do you respond? How do you act? And how do you react when something's outside of your frame of reference? When something appears to be impossible? When something appears to be impractical? Well, I want to look at one of my favorite verses in the Bible for responding to God. Notice what Mary says, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. In other words, God, my life is God's life. My life is God's life. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, I trust God. I believe in God. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine if you and I started living this type of life where we constantly say, my life is God's life. I trust God with my life. I believe God. God invites you to that today. That type of prayer. My life is God's life. And when you have that type of attitude and that type of spirit towards God, that will enable you to do what Mary does. And I want you to notice this. Notice how Mary turns her, her attention to God. And she says this. And this is what you and I can do when we are able to declare my life is God's life. Mary said, verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord. Some translations say my soul magnifies the Lord, from which we get the magnificent. It means what? To praise, to lift up, to exalt. See, in this situation for Mary, it's all about God. And you and I have an opportunity in our circumstances, in our situation, to say it's all about God. Which means, what Mary's saying, which means you can say the same, God, I am going to glorify you, which means I'm going to magnify you, which means, God, I'm going to make your importance and your significance in my life bigger in my life than this part of the puzzle that I don't comprehend right now. So, God, I am lifting you up. You see, God's great desire for all of us is to be the central focus of our life. And what better opportunity for us when the announcement comes, when the circumstances or situations arise that we don't understand, that we don't comprehend, that don't make sense to us. And in those moments, in those circumstances, you and I have a unique opportunity to turn to God, to give God the glory, to praise Him, to lift Him up. See, notice what happens to Mary and what could happen to us. Verse 47, when you and I magnify God, when we praise God, when we lift God up in our life, when we make God bigger in our life, when we make Him central in our life, then, verse 47, key verse, then we can be like Mary and say, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her spirit was rejoicing, or to say it another way, this rejoicing, her spirit was filled with joy. Please don't miss this. There is a direct correlation between the quality of our joy 
with how big God is in our life. In your circumstances, situations, successes, failures, our ability to ride the storms, the level of our joy in the midst of that is a direct result of how much we can magnify, we can lift up, we can praise, we can worship God. You want to be full of joy? Start magnifying God. Start worshiping God, especially like Mary, when you don't understand. Especially when the circumstances are, are something you haven't encountered. Especially when they're beyond your comprehension. You know, I was so encouraged by Pastor Stan this week at New Hope up in Paradise. I got to tell you, the circumstances were absolutely awful when I think about them. They're really beyond description. They're beyond comprehension what he and his church and the community are going through. Talking to him, listening about all that's happening to the 20, 30,000 people who've been displaced. But I'm encouraged by him because in the midst of all this, and the challenges are huge, Stan has just this attitude of joy. He's praising God in the midst of tragedy. He's praising God through it all. And so are many in his church. Their joy is, is infectious. And I believe this because Pastor Stan's joy was infectious to me. And I believe that joy will be a testimony moving forward for them to reach people in their community with the good news of Jesus Christ. That there actually is hope in the midst of Jesus Christ, even in the midst when our, when our circumstances are awful and terrible. In fact, uh, uh, God provides in, in mysterious ways, and he's been providing for them in so many ways. He provided, you know, through us giving an offering, through other churches helping out. Uh, I want to tell you about Kevin and Mary Mackey here at LifePoint Christian Church. I mean, they are just incredible people. Kevin is a doc, uh, an ER doc at, at uh, Kaiser in South Sacramento. Uh, I want you to put this picture up right now, if you could. So here's Kevin and Mary Mackey, and they're there with Pastor Stan. They were just there on Friday. And they went up there because Kevin said, we, we got to do something. He rallied together 20, 200 doctors and nurses from Kaiser to, to be a blessing to the, this church. And so they raised over $6,000 that they put together in gift cards. And then they went up there and they provided this huge banquet style meal for the church. And so I want to show you some of these pictures. Uh, and in fact, in this picture right next to uh, Kevin and Mary are Brian and Kate Frizzy. Brian and Kate Frizzy are from our church. And you might recall a few weeks back, they went up and they, they donated like, it was something like 30 tons of, of material and products to people who des desperately needed in like nine trucks and eight trailers or something like that. And so they jumped on board and they were a part of this as well. And, and you can just keep going. And so here's the church. And this is being put on because two people in our church said, we got to do something. We got to bring hope to a church and we got to bring hope to it, a community. And so there was prayer going on and people could go to those Christmas trees and, and take the gift cards and, and there were gifts and it was just a phenomenal, incredible evening. And I praise God for that, bringing hope. And by the way, uh, mentioning this, and I know there's others of you, it makes me think of uh, uh, Nina Hughes. 
from Life Point. And she actually took up a ton of clothes and food recently, a few weeks back, and set up in a, in a, in a, um, a Walmart parking center, and they didn't kick her out. She was able to feed people and give people items that they need, and here are her pictures of, of what she did. And then there's others of you I keep hearing about more and more. Mike Jewell, I know, did uh, with his company, and they delivered thousands of pounds of product up there. You, church, you're amazing. Your generosity with your time and your talent and your treasures, you're being a blessing to others. But what is my point in all this? You want to be full of joy? Start magnifying God and praising God more. And this church has been doing that. And God says, man, I want to use you to be a blessing. And so we just happen to be a small, tiny part of God using us to, so because they are praising God and worshiping God. And in their services, in the midst of their tragedy, they're praising God. Mary is somebody who's praising God in the midst of something that doesn't make sense. She can't comprehend it. And because she's praising God and magnifying God, she's able to go on to say in verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, your song or your prayer actually really exposes your true heart and motivation and your motive with your relationship with God. And it reveals your perspective in life. A heart full of love and joy and excitement can be yours. If you, like Mary, believe that God can truly do great things in your life. Even in the midst of the impossible. But what about believing God has done great things for you when your circumstances aren't so good? Because it's easy to believe that God is good and to praise God and to lift up God and to worship God when things are going well, when we have a good job, a good home, good family, good friends, good health, Christmas bonuses, presents under the tree. But do you honestly believe God has done good things for you personally, even in the midst of the tragedy? I want to ask, there's some here this morning, maybe your heart has lost hope. Some here, maybe you've lost perspective. Maybe some of you have lost some of your joy. I suspect if that's the case, you have lost some of that God has done great things for me mantra that God invites us to. And it might be because your circumstances are overwhelming. And, and I get that and I understand that. But listen, Mary's circumstances were overwhelming. They actually on the surface appeared to be a big problem. It's not the perfect feel-good story that you and I are used to. Think about it. Mary is pregnant. And she's still allegedly a virgin. How's that going to go over with Joseph? How's that going to go over with her small little town? This is not good news in the moment. However, if you will magnify God in your circumstances, in your tough moments, in times that you don't understand, if you will increase God in your life, if you will praise God, if you will make him bigger in your life, and if we will make ourselves less, then we will be able to see that God has done great things for us, and we will see the hand of God in our lives, and then we too can be filled with joy. With God, nothing is impossible. This is what the Lord said to Mary. This is what the Lord says to you and I today. 